17 weeks, four quarters, 60 minutes, and it all leads up to one winning, winning drive. Welcome back, everybody, to the Winning Drive podcast. I am Rita Hubbard, the NFL chick, co-host of Baltimore Post Game Uncensored on 105.7 The Fan, with my guy Cordell Woodland of Shaking It Up Sports and the Ravens reporter on 105.7 The Fan. And today, on Friday, we decided to give you a guest. We have the famous Ken McCusick at Film Study Ravens joining us today to talk about Ravens Bengals in this matchup that we are all anticipating on, or maybe not. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us, Ken. We truly appreciate having your your expertise and presence here with us on this Friday. Rita Cordell, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the Ravens defense. We saw them get pushed around. I used the term like a rag doll on Sunday night against the Steelers. And it was something that we hadn't really seen before. Um, a lot of the, the linebackers had struggled to shed their blocks. Um, you know, the Steelers really had their way against the Ravens uh, of front seven on either side. It really didn't matter. They they just chose a side and they went that way and they were successful in that way. And so we started hearing conversations about, is this the blueprint to beat the Ravens? Is this the way to attack the, their, their run defense, which has been very, very well this year? So you play the Bengals, who obviously they're a very balanced team. They We talk about their passing game, but they run the ball very well too. Joe Mixon is one of the best in the National Football League. So so do you think that the Bengals personnel has the opportunity to continue the trend of what we saw last week against the Steelers? I think it's possible if that's the way they decide to win. I don't think it's the most efficient way to beat the Ravens defensively. I mean, the Steelers barely got it done in the last minute of the game, despite the offense falling flat. So I don't think the Bengals want to really take it to, you know, take it to the last minute of the game with it, with it being undecided. Uh, I think they'll, they'll pass the ball. I think they'll get it out of their hands quickly, get it out of Burrow's hands quickly. He's the second quickest release in the National Football League. Uh, gets the ball to the outside. In the first matchup, that was pretty much what they did offensively, was throw a lot of wide receiver screens to the outside. So I think we'll see a lot of that. Um, we'll see some run mixed in because that's who the Bengals are. And they have a couple guys who run the ball pretty effectively and, and uh, mix it in prime. So we'll see uh, how they how they mix those up. You mentioned the quickest release, and I feel like that that's been the, an Achilles heel for this Ravens passing defense. Um, I, I feel like a, a lot of what the Jaguars did and that win, you know, that yes. their comeback win was quick releases. And so I, I, this is a problem that the Ravens just simply have not been able to fix yet. So you're basically saying that you don't think from a running perspective they're going to do the same thing, but – the issue is the quick releases, the quick screens, and and those types of situations is what the, we should be concerned about. Yeah, they have a lot of good yak receivers for the position they play. So they throw some wide receiver screens. They play a lot of slants, a lot of little quick hitches and whatnot that that are not uh, deep routes. Uh, they also can go deep, and and so you gotta you gotta respect that. Um, but they they throw a lot of a lot of short passes, and that's uh, a lot of Burrow's accurate area. And uh, that's where his accuracy can really hurt you. It also takes the Ravens' pass rush out of the game to have these ball-out quick situations, which is, I think, something they would like to do. Ravens are great second-chance pass rush team. Very few in the, very little in the way of immediate winners. 
uh, but they do a great job of getting one guy to the quarterback and then the next guy takes care of business and cleans up. So I, I, that's something the Bengals probably want to avoid. The Bengals uh, have had only 10 sacks against them in the last seven weeks now. Wow. So they cleaned up a lot of their uh, problems with getting sacked. Yeah, I mean, the Cincinnati, you know, they present so many different problems because of their elite personnel, arguably the best receiving core in football. You've got Joe Mixon, who is an elite talent in the league, not necessarily having the year that he had last year individually, uh, at least. But I think a lot of that is because, A, he's missed a little bit of time this year. And Samaj P. Ryan has been a little bit more of a focal point in this offense than he has been in years past, especially in the red zone passing game. That's that's one thing that they're going to have to worry about uh, as far as having to cover the entire field once they get into the red zone, because obviously we know what they have at receiver, but Piran has really kind of been a menace out of the backfield uh, in some of these short yardage passing games. So uh, that concerns me a little bit. And really just the fact that last time they faced these guys, T. Higgins was basically not in this game. He that's had right. came into the game hurt. He barely played that night. So they kind of had the benefit of playing against a, a Bengals team that was still trying to wake up. It seemed like from, you know, that little bit of a Super Bowl hangover or whatever you want to call it. They didn't start the year off sharp, but as of late, they look like potentially the best team in football, depending on, you know, which, how you look at them. So uh, I, they concern, uh, Ken, you're right. They, the Ravens have not been great as of late, especially as far as getting to the quarterback initially but they are really good at if you're going to hold the ball or try to move around in the pocket one guy will set up the next guy to get the cleanup sack I just wonder if they'll be able to force uh, Joe Burrow to kind of hold the ball long enough to where they have enough time to get to him because they've got guys that can win on the outside even at the slot Tyler Boyd has been spectacular this year I'm, I'm a little worried about hit that matchup inside between him, potentially Kyle Hamilton uh, or whoever the Ravens decide to put on him in that nickel spot. I've loved Kyle Hamilton being more of a blitzer these last couple of weeks, but having to be potentially put into coverage a lot more this week against Tyler Boyd on the inside scares me a little bit. Yeah, that, that is a, it is a problem right now. And, and Hamilton had been so good for so long in this slot role uh, it's really only the last couple of weeks against Pittsburgh in, in particular that they exposed him a little bit. I, I think I saw the PFF grade on Hamilton. It was pretty bad this week, but I thought that that it was probably they marked him down a little heavily for what happened. First of all, he didn't hold um, on the play where he got beaten for a 28 yard throw. And then that throw, there's nobody who could defend it. I don't care if you have the honey badger there in the slot or, or you know, Lardarius Webb in his prime. That ball can't be defensed. It was just thrown too well. Uh, in terms of, of where it was spotted. It, it, scouts and, and coaches often say there's no defense for the per perfect pass, so don't try and do that. You know, Don't try and, and, and put yourself in that position. And I thought that Hamilton uh, you know, has been exactly what the Ravens have needed here for the last uh, eight weeks or so, however long he's been playing slot and, and, uh, and, and uh, taking that position over the Ravens. He's, he's given them a lot of varied... Uh, skills that they can really use you mentioned the pass rushing he's been a good run defender been a really good downhill tackler he's been one of the Ravens surest tacklers over that period so uh he's given the Ravens an awful lot and I'm glad you one mentioned of the that. Uh, I'm sorry I just wanted to say I'm, sorry, glad, go ahead, go ahead. I'm glad he mentioned that because to start the year it was a little rough 
for oh, Hamilton. Yeah. And, and nobody was really shy about letting it be known yeah. that it was taking him uh, some time to, to get up to speed, myself included. But I also was one of the ones that, you know, being out there at training camp and stuff, you could see the potential with him. It just wasn't always translating onto the field for game day. So I am glad that it's looking like he's, he's starting to get comfortable. They're able to kind of use him as one of their chess pieces on defense, which is what I think that they drafted him with the mindset to do is to kind of play this positionless defense, so to speak. And he was a big part of that. So I think that they're really just starting to scratch the surface on some of the things that they can do with him. The more comfortable he gets, obviously, the more they'll be able to do with him. The the nature of 11 personnel in the NFL right now, I just want to address positionless defense for a second, because whenever I hear it kind of like fingernails on a chalkboard to me, <laughs> you, 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 there is there is some of that to be done. If you have an outside linebacker who can cover, great. He can, he can give you a whole bunch of flexibility in your pass rush and do some positive things. Acting like a slot corner is really a positionless position is a huge mistake because it's it's a position that requires coverage in the NFL. The, yep. the 11 personnel is said to force the nickel. What forces the nickel because a third wide receiver on the field forces you to have a third cornerback on the field to cover that slot receiver. So you can't really go without that position. You can you can you can try and play. Uh, you know, if you have Derwin James, you can move him at, to linebacker. You can have him rush the passer, and you can drop him to free safety. You can drop him to strong safety. But if you tra- if if you're if you if he's your primary slot corner, he's got primary responsibilities that are so large you can't pretend like they can be positionless. So that's that's one of the things that bothers me about it. And you'll hear you'll hear all kinds of coordinators say it, and they know it's kind of crap, but they'll still say it, and it's funny. Ken, one of the things that I'm concerned about is the lack of turnovers that we've seen the last few weeks. And one of the and we know that the Bengals at times like to give the ball. They like to turn it over. Um, I'll use the Patriots game against the Bengals for an example. The, I believe Joe Burrow had a pick six in that game, and it catapulted a potential comeback for the Patriots. They had a couple of turnovers in that game. Um, And so we haven't seen much of that in the last few weeks, something that the Ravens was really strong in at one point, top five in the turnover ratio and say, and so I I am concerned that if you don't, okay, you're not really going to be able to rush the passer in this situation because number one, you haven't really been doing great at that. Like you mentioned an initial rush, and he gets the ball out fast. But then also, if you haven't turned the ball, or if you're not creating turnovers, excuse me, um, how does that bold here in, in, in this situation? To me, it sounds like a double whammy. No pass rush, no turnovers. I, I mean, the Ravens have, have that issue on both sides of the ball. They're giving the ball away more now with Huntley. Yeah. Huntley doesn't take very good care of the football. Yes. as both a ball carrier or a, or a, a passer. And then on the defensive side, you know, the biggest thing to getting turnovers is getting leads. And it, if you have the lead by 10 or 15 or 20 points, then you're in good shape to, to generate turnovers by forcing the offense to do what they have to do in that situation, which is trade uh, the risk of turnover for the prospect of yards. And so, you, you, you know, you, that's, that's your best way. Harbaugh had a, had a comment about it a few years ago after the 2015 season when they had a really bad turnover year. And he said that, you know, the, the thing we need to do is, is the offense needs to contribute that too by getting us leads. If they get the defense leads, the defense will have a good chance to, to make turnovers. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, 
uh, obviously the Ravens, that's a big part of their defense right now. You know, they're not necessarily the best when it comes to yardage, but they do really good as far as turnover differential. I think they are still uh, top three, top three or four in the league right now. Um, so uh, that in itself is still there. The capabilities of being able to force turnovers are still there. They're just not doing it at the rate that they have been doing it for majority of the year. Same with the sacks. I mean, the sacks have obviously gone down these last couple yeah. of weeks in large part, I think, to Justin Houston kind of wearing down or getting tired or whatever you want to call it. He's, he's played a ton of snaps throughout the course of this year. He's been relied on to kind of be the main guy as far as the sacks are concerned on this team. And it yeah. was inevitable, I think, for it to kind of come crashing back down to earth. I will say with Lyle Collins being out for the Bengals, it kind of does give you know open the door for the pass rush to kind of wake up a little bit in this one. And it's going to have to because they can't allow Joe Burrow to sit back there and feel comfortable. Now, Rita, you did bring up the New England game. The one thing that I will say that they can have going in their favor is the, what these last two games for Cincinnati, the the Patriots game and the, the Bucks game, they have had at least one half in both of those games where they were held scoreless. You know, so this has kind of been an, a, a, a team that, has been a, a little off and on these last couple of games. And I still think they're the, the team that can explode at any moment, can score almost at will, so to speak. But they've shown as of late that they have those moments where they will disappear a little bit. Now, can the Ravens take advantage of that and score some points themselves? That remains to be seen, but they will give you an opportunity uh, to be in this game, especially with it being a division game. You, you really never know what can happen. You always have a shot. Uh, but if, if the Bing as talented are, as the Bengals are, they will open the door for you to, to kind of steal this game. We'll find out on Sunday how this defense fares against this high powered Bengals offense with or without Collins. So we'll see soon. Before we get to our next segment, just make sure that you are subscribed to the Winning Drive podcast so that every time there is a new episode, you will be the first to receive it. Okay, guys, so let's flip the sides here. Um, This is going to be interesting, right? Because I think that we have to just come to terms what this offense is without Lamar Jackson, which is not very good. I mean, um, and and I don't like to even put all of this on a guy like Tyler Huntley. And I say that because, you know, in backup roles, if you have high level talent behind you, you can at least try to have a more formidable offense out there. Um, but the personnel, particularly from the wide receiver position, um, it, it just really feels like Huntley is just in a no-win situation. Sure, they have a run game when they decide to consistently do that, which I can say they've been able to do the last couple of weeks. Sure, they have Mark Andrews. But then outside of that, there's no real threat on this offense. And then that includes Huntley because, you know, he is a backup. And so, Ken, I'm interested in your thoughts on what you can – is there anything that fans could get – behind from a positive perspective in terms of what the Ravens could do this Sunday against the Bengals. Okay. I have to approach that from the negative side, even though you asked me for a positive, <laughs> okay. but I'm going okay. to start there. Um, okay. the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers show the Ravens a new wrinkle this last week that I, I am really seriously concerned is a blueprint 
I, I, I don't know why you need a blueprint to beat Tyler Huntley or to beat the Ravens offense even right now as it's currently constituted. But the Raven, the, the Steelers basically said, I dare you to pass. And they came, they mm-hmm. came to the line of scrimmage from the very first play in a jumbo formation. Now, I want to explain what that means. Four down linemen, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers. So it's an eight-man front, not a seven-man front, and only three defensive backs. Um, that, that formation is typically only used in goal line situations. Teams don't even like to use it on third and one and fourth and one all the time because if they do, they get caught with their pants down on the next play, having too heavy a defense on the field if the other team converts, say, at midfield. So it's, it's, it's thought to be an incredibly risky, you know, all-in kind of showdown pot uh, defense that you played. And the Steelers just went to it the very first play of the game. They said, we don't think you can pass on us at all. Go ahead and try. And that's that's where, you know, as bad as, you know, as as many things as you can point to about this Ravens offense, the limiting factor is Tyler Huntley, because they they if if they say we don't trust, we think you can't get the ball out of your hands quickly enough. We don't think you can execute play action at all. You know, your tight end advantage is not even going to play against us, despite the fact that we got two run defenders in an inside linebacker instead of our better coverage inside linebackers. When when the Steelers said that they basically opened the door for any other team to do exactly that. And I think that the, the Bengals are um, a team that might try to, to, to do that as well. They might feel like they don't have to, and, they, and they'd probably be correct, but they might really try and, and do that as well. So I, I'm, con- I'm concerned from that starting point. Yeah, Cordell and I talked about this um, on our follow-up in terms of when we recapped the game on Sunday night. And one of the things that we acknowledged – was the fact that Tyler Huntley just felt like he was escaping the pocket way too soon. It just felt like, you know, he, the pressure was, it didn't seem like the pressure was there, but for whatever reason he felt it and that, you know, he escaped. And I I used the last play of the game as an example of that. I really felt like that rollout was unnecessary at that moment. It didn't seem like that there was a need for it. And yet he, I guess he felt some type of pressure and he got out of the pocket and made the decision that he made. And so I, that's a big concern for me because I agree with you. It's, it is Tyler Huntley, regardless of what they're doing uh, from a personnel perspective. You know, you have Mark Andrews, who had a very good day against the Steelers. If I'm the Ravens, I'm attacking that all day because you're challenging me to to throw. But right. I, I really feel like, like you said, a lot of that had to do with Huntley and not necessarily the game plan. Okay, so they, they did get the ball to Andrews, and that was it was a it was a definitely a big positive out of this was to was to get the ball to him. It was nine out of nine balls he caught, which is which is really a big difference because that's like he normally has a lot of contested catches, which really limit his catch rate. But it, but they didn't do it with any other receivers, which is a problem. So there right. wasn't Isaiah likely didn't have a big game. He's he should have eaten alive a yes. Steelers defense that was trying to do that. Uh, you know, Deshaun Jackson should have had an opportunity to either stretch the field and and amoebaize the defense in a way that the Steelers would not have liked, or to make some big plays himself, which we've seen this year. So uh, I'm, you know, that 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 part of it was depressing in terms of the pocket presence of Huntley. It's one of the big problems. Um, it's not the only one, but it's at the point where I'm I'm basically I think the Ravens need to move on in terms of backup quarterback. I agree. Um, is is because of the, the the pocket presence. Last year, uh Roman's answer to it was to get the ball out of Huntley's hands very quickly, and it turned Hollywood Brown into a five-yard receiver, which is which really not what you want out of him, but it really as much as you know, Jackson is a force multiplier in terms of making everybody else on the field better. 
um, Huntley really reduced what they had in terms of Hollywood to uh, to provide value. So and the other element of pocket presence that you mentioned, leaving the pocket too early, um, Lamar is very natural there. He keeps his eyes down the field very well. He reacquires the field well when he's not turning his back. Um, but but he also takes a bump very well. So Ronnie Stanley is a natural mirror at left tackle who gives ground in order to maintain that mirror. It's an important distinction there because you always want your left tackle to hold up as, as well as possible, give the largest pocket. But as you have to make that compromise, Stanley does a good job of keeping the defender's hand off of the quarterback. And Lamar takes a bump from the backside and, and has those eyes in the back of his head to move naturally out of the pocket. Huntley is very uncomfortable um, in that situation. And it, it, it distracts him tremendously. And he, he takes his eyes off the field and Collinsworth calls him a one read quarterback. I think that's probably an extreme definition of the thing, but I think he has to, he has to roll to really go to a second read. Yeah. I, I think everything that's being said is spot on. I think kind of like what we've been saying all year about this offense is kind of still the same case is that it's a lot of factors in this. And I agree. Tyler Huntley is clearly, you know, a, a big part as to why they aren't, they weren't able to exploit that Steelers defense the way that they should have. He is extremely limited in the past game. I think we saw that throughout, throughout that Pittsburgh game as and And he was as best as I've seen him all year at throwing the ball to Mark Andrews. He and Mark Andrews had that connection Sunday night that we saw them have down the stretch last year that helped Mark Andrews get to a, to the to, to be an all pro last year uh like you said can nine uh, to catch all nine of his targets get to 100 yards we've seen mark andrews look kind of pedestrian down the stretch of this season that was one of the best games i'd seen from him i mean i saw mark beating double teams i saw him you know clearing guys across the field and tyler huntley making some on point throws right on the sideline down the field, but only to Mark Andrews. It was, it's definitely disappointing that he wasn't able to have that connection with anybody else. I still think a part of it when I, I think it's a combination of everything as far as this past game. I, I watch it being able to look at it from the press box. You get to see a nice view a couple of times. They tried to have Deshaun Jackson kind of spread the field, so to speak, or stress the defense. Uh, and it was times where I saw Deshaun Jackson running deep post or something, and there's like three guys running with him. I'm like, okay, somebody's got to be open. But what kills me is that the, the Ravens run a lot of pass plays that have three options in them at times. And those other two guys are running. Uh, it may be a guy in a flat or somebody does a, a, a deep end or something like that, but nobody's getting any true separation. Like you can, I thought that that, that Sunday night, would have been a perfect opportunity for Isaiah Likely to really kind of go off and possibly cement himself as being potentially a a set at worst a I mean at best a second uh, security blanket for the quarterback right now. I, I think in the t for a team that clearly has a problem at the wide receiver position, for as much stock as they put into their tight ends they're not getting the production from the tight ends either. And I, I think Isaiah likely should have really been used a lot throughout this season, considering their problems on the outside, but it hasn't been the case. Um, like I said, that, that last play of the game really tells, tells it all. I mean, Tyler Huntley just flat out doesn't have the arm talent to be able to make some of the throws that you expect your, your quarterback to make in this league. Um, I saw what he saw 
but obviously he wasn't able to get the ball to Demarcus Robinson and ends up and in the game this week. I wouldn't be surprised if Cincinnati does the same thing that Pittsburgh did. But also, like you said, Ken, I mean, they really don't have to. I, they, they don't have to commit that much to the run game. This Ravens offense has shown that they can go out there and have a dominant day on the ground and still not have any type of production on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, you don't want to get ran on for 200 plus yards or anything like that. But this is still a team that can kind of get in their own way. They'll go away from the run game. They'll uh, have moments to where they still can't score in the red zone. This is an offense that has a lot of problems. I'm, I'm really worried that, and I know we talked about the defense before, but I'm of the mindset that offense and defense, they go very much hand in hand. This defense, as good as it's been, I, I'm worried that it's getting stressed out down the stretch of the season <laughs> because the offense is really giving them nothing. Yeah, I, I mean, that's certainly true from this last game. For, from from Q3, 931 until through Huntley's interception, both teams had the ball four times. And the Ravens are outsnapped 41 to 15 during that time. The, the biggest thing about tiring a defense isn't necessarily even total number of snaps, although that's important. It's not time of possession at all, so put that away. It's, it is snaps, but it's consecutive snaps that yeah. certain players have to play. So it's it's at a, particularly at the rotational positions on the defensive line and at edge rusher, you don't want to have guys on the field for a lot of consecutive plays. Short passing attacks and running attacks both stress the hell out of that. And uh, and that really eventually is what broke the Ravens down in the in the uh, in the final minute and a half of that football game that caused them to lose. I, I do wonder, though, Ken, and, and, and tell me if I'm tripping here, because sometimes I do. <laughs> um, if what is the issue with with playing a little bit more up tempo and not allowing the Steelers to substitute in, in situations where you, you need a spark? there and so you know if you're not able to really move the ball and you mentioned the snaps moving down the stretch it, it would would playing uh up tempo or no huddle hurt or help in that situation i feel like it would help because it doesn't allow them to get fresh bodies in but for whatever reason the ravens just don't seem to like to do it unless they absolutely have to Right. I, I, you're absolutely right about they don't go to no huddle very often, just out of, out of course. Um, and and in, the, in recent weeks, they've been trying to shorten football games. So, you know, and, and at times it's been the other team like Atlanta and Pittsburgh has been willing to do it, too. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they end up with both teams when to shorten a football game, you end up running the ball a lot. The, the no huddle really only helps you if you're if you're mixing up run and pass to a pretty good degree or passing all the time. One of those two. So you can if the other team can have no answer for it if if it completely um, exhausts their pass rush with the same personnel on the field, uh, it's less useful against the run. And what the Steelers, you know, their their uh, jumbo fronts they were showing, those guys aren't getting tired from rushing the passer when you're running the ball against them. And you got to you got to prove you can pass it. They already are daring you as to whether or not you can pass it. It would be the appropriate thing try and keep their personnel on the field, pass the ball four straight times. Of course, people would be calling for Roman's head because they don't really understand what the what Pittsburgh was doing to them. Right, but they, exactly. But it would have been the it would have been the right call is to is to go no huddle with the pass only against that front and say, look, you dared us to pass, we're passing on you, and we're not only that, we're going to do it. We're going to play fast to do it. 
And the thing Particularly is, in the fourth it's... quarter, right? Like where I'm sorry, Cordell, but like in the fourth oh, quarter, right? Where, where okay, like you said, after the after towards the end of the third quarter, I mean, you weren't getting anything. You you literally, uh, you know, washed away a, a big return and and went mm-hmm. backwards. So I, after that, I think I'm a little desperate here because clearly I can't run the football. Well, you're, they still had the lead at that point, which was part of the problem. And, you know, there's there's a couple of mm. things that are old football axioms that come to play. The, the balance of strategies favor the trailing team. OK, so the trailing team always has the advantage of of being able to gamble to try and get back in the game. And and the, the leading yeah. team needs to do more gambling to understand yes. to, to counteract that and yet that means offensively for sure they got to they got to run no huddle also means defensively you have the lead you need to take chances still to get a team off the field and it takes more chances to get a team off the field when they're able to play four down football you have to blitz you have to generate penalties on the on the offense you have to generate sacks yeah uh multiple incompletions with today's completion percentages are the absolute most difficult way to get an opposing offense off the field so you're, you're just you're playing with one, defense with one hand behind, behind your back if you want really try and gamble um, when you're in that position. But it, it depends also. Gambling on offense, which is what we're talking about, Rita, would have been really appropriate in that situation given uh, you know where, where the Ravens were in the game. And and I would say it's, it's tough considering, you know, I, I'm all for them going more up-tempo up as well, um, especially considering it'll kind of save them from having to huddle up and break the huddle with under 10 seconds left on, on the play clock. But also, I think it's it's also runs the risk because this has been a team that throughout maybe outside of the first drive of the game or, you know, one of the late drives, they've struggled to sustain drives. You know, they only had two first downs in the second half uh, of that of that Pittsburgh game. So they go no huddle and they go out there. They they run a three and out. They're off the field in about a minute and a half with nothing to show for. That's the only thing that concerns me about this offense that's struggling as bad as they are. I don't know if they can sustain enough, uh, enough of a drive to eat up the amount of clock that they would need to be able to keep themselves in the game. I would also say that this, this team is, even though they're going out there and faced as many heavy packages as they did against Pittsburgh, it was a lot of times that the Ravens were coming out there with one receiver on, on the field with, with really no threat of the pass game. It, it's, it was really mind blowing. I mean, that's a really good point, Cordell, because the, the, the Steelers responded and I, this, a lot of people don't know this still about the NFL, but the defense gets to put their personnel on the field. Second, mm-hmm. the offense has to put their personnel on. If they make changes, the defense is allowed to respond, and you'll often see the referee or the, the umpire stand over the football and basically stop play while the defense is allowed to substitute. And, you know, you put 22 personnel on the field. First of all, there's somebody with a sign on the Pittsburgh sideline holding it up saying 22 or whatever their, their animal or other thing for it is. And then they go to the, to, to the defense that's appropriate to 22, which allowed them to put in a, a jumbo front. And saw that an awful lot from the, from the, from the Steelers. If you, if you go to the participation by play website over at NFL faster, which is a great resource, by the way, you can see that the 28 times they lined up in this, uh, uh, you know, what is essentially a four, four, three defense. It's, it's the Steelers. It's it's the Ravens showing them 22 personnel that allowed them to then do it. So it's, it, it is on the Ravens that they, they had the ability to dictate something else out of the Steelers, but they put three wide receivers on the field while the Steelers have to do what every other team does and put three cornerbacks on the field. Yep. They, 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that they helped them out. You know, mm -hmm. they, they, they really helped them out. And uh, because, like you said, the Steelers dared them to throw it. And the Ravens were like, we don't want to. We don't yeah. want to throw the football. We're going to we're going to just continue to try to run into this wall. And well, that's I, what the fans asked for, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I, I, see, and, and that's weeks. I said this the other day on the podcast, Rita. We have to be specific with our request. Because it's it's like back when we were like, all right, are you going to play James Prochet or not? Okay, so we're going to put James Prochet on the field, but we're only going to put him on the field to run these wide receiver passes, or we're going to put him on the field for three plays in a game, but we're going to make two of those plays, make sure that he's targeted on fourth down on two of the three snaps <laughs> in the entire game. So we, so yeah, you're right. We've been asking for more of the run game. Well, we've got to be actual we, – we have to be more precise in our requests now. So we're asking for them to run the ball when it presents itself. More so run the ball. In run the it when it well. presents itself. Yeah, you, you know, uh, like – and they had a draft Sunday night where they got inside the red zone, didn't have a carry, got pass happy there of all places. That's yeah. where they got pass happy and end up obviously getting the result that they've gotten uh, a lot this year, which is – settling for a field goal at best yeah. um but but this is a team right now that i mean it was concerning to hear john harbaugh s s pinpoint the coaching and the lack of game plan and and the lack of you know getting these guys ready to play against what they said they saw coming in uh to the into this game and can i know you 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 didn't i mean i like you this was the first time i saw a defense come out in that type of jumbo package right against this offense, at least for the entirety of the game, almost. I don't know if they saw that on film because Pittsburgh definitely didn't show that to them the first time that they played. But John swore that they were ready for whatever Pittsburgh was was going to throw at them. And when you watched them Sunday night, it didn't look that way. No, they weren't ready for that. They they didn't. Uh, they, it's, 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 I, I don't know why the need for coach speak, but there's two things that Harbaugh said that I didn't like um, on the thing. One was that, that they were ready for anything and it included the – the jumbo fronts and that's just not true otherwise they'd have really they'd have had some way to beat it because it's 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 like saying yeah we knew the eight-man blitz was coming from miami in that game mm -hmm. was it last year yeah uh, when they when they got uh 40 cover zero mm -hmm. uh blitz looks or cover zero looks at the snap they nobody sees that coming you, you got to nope. react to that on the fly um the, the the problem was the ravens had a lead at halftime they they drove down the field and they scored to start the second half with that field goal and then they, and then all of a sudden their offense went dead. It wasn't an ideal place for them to make adjustments, but they could have done two things. And Rita, I like your idea of, of going no huddle, but what they really needed was play action to, yep. to draw on those linebackers and get their tight ends into the game. We can even get wide receivers into the game too. And Huntley is just not made for play action. He has I to can. reacquire the field to do that. And the other thing they could have done, which we didn't see, but would have been a big adjustment is put Ben Cleveland on the field as a sixth offensive lineman. If, if the Steelers want to raise in terms of, of, of playing heavy, raise them right back. In fact, go all in. Put Ben Cleveland in as a sixth offensive lineman instead of a tight end. And one of the problems is I don't know how much of an advantage you get there in terms of blocking, but Cleveland moves people. Mm -hmm. And and he'd be he'd have been it'd be interesting to see him. They just that's another thing they could not possibly have prepared for because I I don't think they were expecting this. And Cleveland as a sixth offensive lineman is a very different position for him. He's, yeah. he's an interior guy, and yeah. you almost would have had to tuck him inside one of the tackles and used him there. It would have been a very difficult on the spot change. So the one that made makes sense is is putting the game in Huntley's hand with play action and a, and a faster pace, as you mentioned, Rita. 
I completely agree with everything you said. So we'll find out if uh, they've made the necessary changes because I have to assume we may see the same thing this coming Sunday against the Bengals. Uh, before we get into our last segment, I just want to make sure that everybody is subscribed to the Winning Drive podcast. And if you haven't, what exactly are you waiting for? Make sure you hit that subscribe <laughs> button so you can get all of the updates from Cordell and me. This is my least favorite segment, Ken. For the past few weeks, it has been my least favorite segment. Although you was right Ravens last week. Been, uh, <laughs> although the Ravens have been what three and two since Lamar has gone out, and I think that includes the um, Broncos game because you know that was very early exit for him. Um, I have not enjoyed this segment at all, but we have to do it. We have to pick who we think is going to be the winner of the game. And so um, Cordell has really been good majority of the season. The last couple weeks, we've both had some struggles. I did pick the Steelers to win that football game. You know, I just felt like that they'd be ready and that Pickett is is an upgrade from Mitch Trubisky, quite frankly. Um, And so here we are against the Cincinnati Bengals. We, We discussed at nauseum how good they are offensively. Um, and so clearly this should be a concern with this offense. So, Ken, you are our guest. I would love to know how you think this outcome goes with a score. All right. So uh, I, I really hate predictions, guys. <laughs> Just I, I don't like doing it. But We I, do I, too. Trust okay. us. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I, I think that a lot of this game will determine on what the NFL tells the Ravens and Bengals before Saturday. Is, does the game mean anything or not? And if it doesn't, I, I, I think the Ravens will rest a lot of players. I think the, the NFL, um, if they're if they're going to, um, you know, basically hose the Ravens and and the, along with the Bengals and along with the Bills for that matter, yeah. and say that they're not going to resume the Bengals Bills game, then I think that the the all teams deserve to know in advance. And the the Ravens certainly, I think, if that happens, we'll see a whole bunch of second string players, but we'll see the same from the Bengals as well. Um, the unfortunate thing was that, you know, the, the, replaying that Bengals-Bills game would have multiple benefits to the Ravens. Um, and, and we don't need to get into all that. Obviously, the DeMar Hamlin tragedy is, is, yeah. is front and center on that. And all disruptions have winners and losers. I'm, I'm taking a lot long on a prediction segment, aren't I? But all, all disruptions. <laughs> it's, okay. have, it's, a, it's a unique circumstance. Yeah, yes, it, it, it really is. is. It really yeah. is. All disruptions have winners and losers. So any any change has winners and losers, whether you know economic and politically, legislative, whatever you might have, uh, they, they all do. And this this NFL situation is no different. And and you know I think the Ravens fans just really need to take a little solace in the fact that the team is probably not going anywhere without Lamar Jackson anyway. It'd be nice to have the extra week until yes. that that playoff game for for Lamar, if nothing else. Um, and and uh, you know that this game probably would be determined in part by what the NFL tells the Ravens on Saturday. If in fact they are straight with them about this game, not meaning anything. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the difference between a five and a six seed because the chance of getting a, a five seed is so slim with, with San Diego playing, you know, just needing a win or a Ravens loss. I, I, it's, that's a, that's a, a, a really trivial thing, but the Ravens, I think we'll see, we'll see Kolar. We'll see a Jabo. I'll put that in my prediction. Oh. Uh, and, and we might see uh, Anthony Brown in this game. If I think oh, with the I've been praying for it, I've yeah. been praying for this moment. Yeah. I've been praying for the Anthony Brown moment because I am an Anthony Brown apologist here. <laughs> I just wanted you to know that this might be your week. And, <laughs> and, and in terms of the score, not even going to bother, honestly. 
It's, I, I, I think this, the Bengals win the game if it's played yeah. straight up. All right. Yeah. There it is. I mean, you know, this this game is definitely unique. I think a lot of it will have to do, you know, what what ends on happening in this game as far as who we see playing uh, is going to be determined by what the league tells the Ravens as far as is this game for the division or not. Um, I also have I also want to point out because there's been a lot of Ravens fans that have called into my show and complaining about they think that you know the league is screwing them or something like that. I, I just oh, want to say to these people that the Ravens did this to themselves. Nobody told the Ravens to go to Jacksonville and blow that game. Nobody told the Ravens to blow those early leads to Buffalo and Miami early in the league. Nobody has had more double-digit leads in the league this season than Baltimore and has lost majority of them. So the Ravens have put themselves in this position by their own doing. Um, you, Any team, despite whatever goes on, always says they don't want to be in a position to where they're dependent on somebody else to do something for them. The Ravens were dependent, whether that game finished or not Monday night, the Ravens needed the Bills to do something for them. That's the position that they put themselves in. So to be honest, I don't feel bad that the Ravens aren't potentially are not going to have to be, aren't going to be able to play for the division against Cincinnati. Quite frankly, they, they forfeited that right when they blew this stretch of games against terrible opponents flat out. Uh, you know, down the stretch, you're going up against all these losing teams and you can't take advantage. That That's on them. Uh, also, I want to say, and I don't know, it's not like we could trust everything that John tells us nowadays, but I did ask him uh, on Monday as far as what his thoughts were about whether or not they were going to play Cincinnati for the division at the time and would that influence who plays in this game and who doesn't. At the time, he told me, he, he didn't think that it would change his, you know, his rotations and anything like that. I take everything he tells me with a grain of salt for sure. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's what he said. That being said, I agree. I, I, I don't think that we're going to see these guys play the entirety of this game. I do think that they need to play some because it's not like these guys are tearing it up right now. I do yep. think that everybody needs work. Um, I, I think that they could all use a, a, a couple of drives, specifically this offense, to potentially put points on the board. This offense needs to be able to prove to themselves that they can not only sustain a drive, but be able to keep up with a high-powered offense in the AFC. And you look talk about the playoffs. You look at all these playoff teams, all of them are high-powered offenses right now other than the Ravens. Um, and I'm even including a team like Miami who's holding the seventh seed right now, who I don't expect to make the playoffs for the record with Skylar Thompson starting out there. Uh, spoiler alert, I actually think Pittsburgh is going to find a way to get into that seventh seed the way so it's So do I. You just can't <laughs> get rid of these dudes. They're always there. Uh, but that being said, I, I thought that the Ravens would lose this game, whether it was for the division or not. They They just don't have it right now they aren't they don't have the offense to be able to compete uh with this with this Bengals team I, I feel like this defense as good as they are I think that they are a championship level defense but considering what they what is going on on the other side of the ball it it diminishes how good this defense can be ultimately so I, I, I I'm going to say that Cincinnati wins and I really don't think it's, it's going to be close in this when I think Cincinnati ends up getting into the high 20s, maybe even the low 30s, I'd say like 27, 13. 
I, I, I'm going to make this simple because you guys have done a lot of explaining and I don't feel like I need to do any of that because you've done it for me. So I'm going to say the Bengals a lot and the Ravens a little bit <laughs> um, because, you know, I don't expect anything from this offense. I expect nothing. I actually would like to see Anthony Brown, quite frankly. I've uh, Two different times on this podcast, Ken, I have asked for the Ravens to put in Anthony Brown. I think one time after the Browns game for sure because I thought like Anthony Brown would force – um, the offensive coordinator to run the ball. But he did do that the following week. So I guess, you know, it, that was unnecessary. But I felt like from a strategic standpoint, if you have your third string quarterback in, well, you're going to run the ball, right? You're not going to do what you did in Cleveland. But then I've asked for him again because I don't think that – I think that Tyler Huntley's arm is not going to do it. I don't think that he sees the field well, and I'm I'm sorry. I just think that – I know I sound crazy. I know. But this is where we are. I mean, you just got to find somebody that's going to make some plays. And as of right now, Tyler Huntley is not consistently doing that. So – I would personally love to see Anthony Brown to see what he could do for a couple of quarters to either uh, feed into my bias or prove me wrong. <laughs> I really just want to know what I have here with this other guy, because I know this guy really is not doing the job that he can do that. Well, he should be doing consistently. So if that's the case, I, whether Anthony Brown plays or whether Tyler Huntley plays, I still see that the score being a lot to a little bit, but, I feel like that there may be a more respectable loss with a guy that you have no game plan against. So that's my theory behind that. And I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> All right. And I, I, I would also, think- I, 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 my bad. I, I do want to point out that Anthony Brown comes with a lot of unknown. Like we're, we're, he, he's, sure. he's the alternative, but he's not, he's also not a great alternative either. I, I think with, was kind of getting me to the point to where I'm actually saying for the first time, put Anthony Brown out there. Tyler Huntley already dealing with the shoulder issue. Now he's got the wrist right. issue. This is a guy who hasn't been throwing the ball well to begin with. Who am I to believe? I don't know exactly what wrist it is. Maybe they highlighted on the injury report. I have to look at it, uh, look at it again. But uh, this is a guy that hasn't been throwing the ball well either. And with the Ravens going into the playoffs, with this offense being as stagnant as it is, they have nothing to lose by seeing if Anthony Brown could give them some sort of spark. Uh, Because right now, the way that this offense is currently constructed, they stand zero chance in the playoffs, obviously, unless Lamar Jackson shows up. And then that zero percent chance maybe goes to 15 to 20 percent in my mind. Ooh, too low, (laughs) too low. But, but uh, too low. Yeah. you gotta give him 50 50 if Lamar comes back. I, I love Lamar, but I mean, the, the offense wasn't necessarily lighting it up even before he left. Even with Lamar, the receiving core is still going to be what it is. I, I, I'll agree with that 15 to 20 percent is still low, uh, but they could potentially have to play one of the top three teams in the AFC in the first round. I, I just don't feel good about any matchup that they would have to play. You know, of the matchups that could occur, the one that really intrigues me, and maybe it's the two that really intrigue me, are either going to Buffalo or Cincinnati, but Buffalo in particular. If they could get into a nice weather game, that that'd be the Achilles heel oh, of Lamar. Sure. But with yeah. their with their current thing, oh, weather, give us some weather. Yeah, yeah we'll, right. we'll hold the other team's right. passing game down, and uh, I mean, I the think that'd be a lot of fun. Of- 
one of the good things about that, right, is that each team that they would potentially play um, in the top three all are, are teams that deal with weather issues because Kansas City is in the Midwest. Um, you got Buffalo and then Cincinnati, you know, they're they're not too far from the lake. So they get they get weather as well. So it's very possible. Right. It's January. That's that's what this is. It's it's that type of season. So having that in their favor could absolutely help them uh, go yep. to the next round. But they have to have Lamar in order to do that. I, I, I don't. I, I don't care who who's behind center if it's not Lamar. I, I don't see the success without them. So without it's, Lamar specifically. It's crazy. The other day in the media room, we actually had this kind of discussion as far as like who would we rather see the who would who would the Ravens rather play out of the top three teams, Cincinnati, Kansas City, and Buffalo. Number one, you'd be surprised how many of those guys said Kansas City. I was I was complete I don't want any parts. Of that, especially not for the first game of the season, but they kind of think that the Ravens would be able to do something with them. I think they're falling victim to seeing Kansas City play with their food a little bit down the stretch of the season. I don't want to see Kansas City if I'm Baltimore. To me, I, I'm kind of with you, Ken. I, I would say Buffalo, even over Cincinnati. I wouldn't want to face Cincinnati for the third time, especially not potentially back-to-back weeks. Right. Um, but I, Buffalo is that one team that, Josh Allen has a has that game where he's have he's turning it over uncharacteristically or you know in the red zone they can't the buff you're not really terrified of Buffalo's run game so right. albeit they throw the ball very well and Josh Allen's legs are a big part of their run game you kind of know what you're getting uh from them their defense has is still very good no doubt about it but they 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 tend to look a little human as of late. So that, that would be the, and, and the Ravens play Buffalo. Well, that granted, they don't always beat them, but they actually, I, I think they match up against them. Well, Buffalo, even though they beat, they, they do beat Baltimore. They don't necessarily play their best game either. So they do. The Ravens always have a shot to beat those guys. I, I and it's not an easy choice. The, 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 the right answer would be, I don't want to play any of the three of, of the top three in the first round. But if I had to choose, I, I would, I wouldn't mind facing Buffalo. Yeah, I, I I like I like, you know, the Ravens have a better chance that we're giving credit for them probably against any of these teams. This is a great defensive team. This really is. I mean, it's a, you rarely put together a defensive unit this good. The only weakness right now is that corner, um, and and you know if Peters is back, it still gives them one of the better corner situations in sure. the league with with including Hamilton, um, uh, you know, being there. So I. I you know, if the Ravens are going to win this, it's going to be some combination of running and defense. And I do think that Anthony Brown, as Rita said, probably gives the Ravens the best chance at that because he, for all the unknowns are, are you know, unknowns versus some negatives that we're seeing currently from, from Tyler Huntley. And I think they're, the time is probably now to find out what, what's going on with that in week 18. Ken, please tell everyone how they can find you so they can see your work because you do phenomenal um analysis for the ravens it's great to have you on right, thanks appreciate both of you guys thanks for having me on i'm at film study ravens on twitter uh my site is filmstudybaltimore.com uh features two uh offensive podcasts and two defensive podcasts per week uh a know your foe episode which we're not having this week and a uh, uh by the numbers episode which is done with another actuary where we really get into some metrics and how they how they really what they really mean to the game and how they how they matter. I'd like more people to give that a shot. And you can you can play this podcast right off your off the website on TV. So I'm asking people out there to try and get one that one person who never has really understood how to download a podcast. That would be like kind of me. 
to, to, <laughs> to, to uh, just play it off their website at work. Thank you so much, Kim McCusick. It has been a great pleasure to talk to you and to give us your insight on what we anticipate to happen on Sunday. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I just want to say before we go, we are still sending our thoughts and prayers to DeMar Hamlin and his family um, that he has a speedy and, and, and uh, full recovery as he is challenging his way uh, back to full health. So once again, from Cordell to me, this is Winning Drive.